You're listening to The Fallout with Joey Semmel and Drew Gillis. Thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome into another episode of The Fallout. Joey Summel and Drew Gillis back for some more fun with you guys. What's up, guys? Our valued listeners. All of you guys. Every <laughs> single one of them. <laughs> but seriously, Drew, I want to change our introduction a little bit. Are we going to have more fun now? Yeah. Yes! <laughs> we're going yes! to add a segment where it's super simple. If you've watched a sports show ever, you've probably seen you've it. You've seen this. Guaranteed. Um, we're going to read a statement and we're going to say whether that statement is an overreaction, an underreaction, or a correct amount reaction. <laughs> so pretty simple. So I'll give you the first one. And if you have questions about that, uh, you can ask our DMs if you're still really oh, confused. Oh, yeah, throw yeah. our DMs in there. If you're still really confused about what that's going to mean. Go ahead and um, slide in, guys. <laughs> so first, overreaction or underreaction. You ready? Yeah. The Chiefs will struggle to win Super Bowls the rest of Mahomes' career because his contract screws over the team. I think that's the correct reaction, and here's here's why. Granted, we know right now the Chiefs are probably the best team in football. I would argue that. Um, if, if not, they're a top three team, and I think they have a great chance of getting back to the Super Bowl. But it's so hard to do that year after year after year, and Mahomes' contract is worth more per year than any other player in the league right now. It's going to be a problem for their cap now and going forward. I don't see them having an easy road to the playoffs or the Super Bowl, I should say. What do you think? I think this is the biggest and stupidest overreaction <laughs> that I've seen on any of the sports shows going around. And I think you're overreacting too. I think it's so dumb. And I'll tell you why. Do you want to know why those teams with the highest paid quarterbacks don't go to the Super Bowl? Because they can't pay the rest of the team? No, because they're not paying the right quarterback. So often, you look at guys, Jay Cutler got a huge extension. Even Eli was being paid a ridiculous amount. Matt Stafford was the highest paid quarterback in the NFL for uh, a while. You know who's better? What about better? Russ? Russ has only been the highest paid quarterback for two years, and they've been a contender for both of those two years. Yeah, but I'm just saying, the league's highest paid quarterback in the NFL has not won the Super Bowl since Steve Young in 1994. The road is not easy with the highest paid quarterback in the league. But I want to go back to my point. It's because so often, and I didn't look up every quarterback since Steve Young, but so often it's because you're paying the wrong guy, right? Let me read you the quarterbacks who have, in the last 10 years since 2010, been the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. Okay, okay. Matt Stafford, he was hurt the entire year last year, so he didn't even have a chance to do it, but he wasn't going to. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo. Also hurt. Joe Flacco, Eli Manning in 2016, Drew Brees in 2015, maybe the one exception on this list. But only had it for one year, right? Right. Yeah. And then Eli for the next two years again. Peyton in 2012, they made the playoffs. He's another exception, but he was also at the tail end of his career. Eli, Peyton, and Brees have won a Super Bowl in the past as well. Right. But And Mark Sanchez in 2011 and Donovan McNabb at the tail end of his career in 2010. So my point is... It's either the wrong guy or... It's a guy that deserved to be paid the highest and only had it for about a year, and, Mahomes, and in that year, he didn't win the Super Bowl. Mahomes deserves every single cent that he's going to get because he's going to make the people around him better. People are going to take pay cuts to play with him. We haven't seen that from a quarterback in a long time. Um, people are going to take pay cuts to play with him, and frankly, we've never seen a talent like Patrick Mahomes. So there's a reason he just got the biggest contract of all time, and he deserves it. Oh, no, you're absolutely and right. Straight overreaction here. 
I bet they win two to three more Super Bowls, which I know doesn't sound like a ton, In but it's a years? lot. No, I can I could see that. I could see that. But let's move on to the next question. I got to ask you a baseball one now about the simulated games because I know you're a big fan of those. Those have been fun. <laughs> Yankees so, have done them two days in a row. <laughs> so after being injured for essentially a full season and walking eight batters in his first sim game back, eight batters, he walked eight batters, should Shohei Otani stick to hitting? You mean only hit? Yes. Cut the pitching? Yes. I think this is an overreaction, but not by much. The longevity of his career, we've seen it already. He's going to get hurt because what he's being asked to do, no one else has ever been asked to do. Pitch and hit at the same time. No one else has been asked to do, right? So do I think because he walked eight batters, we should just immediately take the ball out of his hand? No, the guy throws 99 miles an hour. Do I think he's long-term going to pitch and hit? I think he's one ser- one more serious injury away from saying, I'm just going to hit because I do that a little better than I pitch. I think this is a terrible overreaction because he when he pitched, he was really, really good. I don't think looking at his rookie season stats as a pitcher, you would say that guy should not pitch. You, you would say, I want that guy in my starting rotation. For him to come back and have one bad game, and it's a sim game after not pitching for two full seasons, who cares? It's his first action back. Take it easy. Take it easy, Joey. Who cares? This is an overreaction. And if I, I've I, ever I seen said one. it was an if overreaction. If I've ever seen one, though, you give the guy one game. One game. I don't care yet. I, I want to see him pitch again. I, I, I think he's destined to be a hitter because he's really, really good at it. Um, and it, it's like catchers, right? The longer you leave him behind the plate, the less time they're going to have to hit for you. You can do both. Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth didn't do both at the same time, though. I love using that example just to do that. It's so dumb because Babe Ruth didn't pitch on a Tuesday and then DH on a Wednesday. No, that's not what he did. Um, So he's been hurt two years in a row. He got hurt at the tail end of 2018, and he got hurt again last year. got Tommy John. So am I a little worried? Yes, I'm a little worried. But yes, it's an overreaction. I'm not too worried about Tommy John for any pitchers at this point. How many of them get it? They all come back pretty well at this point. I'm not too worried about it. But they also don't hit. So, (laughs) But last one, the 7, 8, and 9 seeds in the Eastern Conference wouldn't make the playoffs in an 82-game season with the lineups that are going to Orlando. So that's without Bradley Beal and without Bertans for the Wizards, and that's without, okay, pretty much everyone on the Nets. (laughs) I actually think this is an overreaction, which which feels a little crazy because these teams are terrible. Good news for them is so is the East. The rest of the teams underneath them are also trash. So I'm not that worried if I'm the 7 or 8 seed right now. I mean, the Wizards team without Beal is like, ooh. And Bertans. And Bertans. But come on, without Beal, it's like, ugh. Except the crazy thing is the Nets are worse <laughs> with the people not no, the, going. No, the Nets, the Nets from who they've lost is like, wow. It's ridiculous. I don't, I don't know if they would make the playoffs right now with this roster. But I think the Magic could. I think the Magic could squeak in because I think with their roster right now, they're better than both the Wizards and the Nets and better than, I think, the Hornets, the Hawks, the Knicks, you name them. I mean, it's not a great team, but it's also not a team built around stars. So if you lose one, two guys, it's not that big of a problem. I think the Magic are what makes this take an overreaction. I agree because the other two teams struggle a ton, but we're also in Orlando. That can't be overlooked. I think that's good for them to actually have this opportunity in Orlando. And they haven't really lost anyone. So, um, 
Yeah. yeah I love how we're including them in this because their roster's just kind of already trash. <laughs> yeah, just just to close this out, I mean, Garrett Temple, who's not even sure if he's going to play, has a good chance to start for the Nets if he, if he goes down there. <laughs> That's how many people they're missing. Yeah. Like, it's, it's crazy. It's probably four of their biggest five names. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so now it's time for our third trivia question. So I'll be asking you, and I'm just going to jump right in. Yippee! Is this going to go better than the first one? <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> okay, so based only on their NFL contracts, this takes out endorsements and any everything else. Okay. Okay. Who is the NFL leader in career earnings? Okay, uh, it's got to be a tenured quarterback. I, I feel like that's got to be obvious, the most earning position by far. I'm going to guess guys that played into their 40s, so I'm just my first initial guesses would be guys like Favre, Brady, uh, both of the Mannings, um, Drew Brees, Joe Montana, Steve Young, Kurt Warner, guys like that. Well, if you name every single quarterback who played a long time, odds are one of the one of the right <laughs> answers was in there. So, so pick like three. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Let me let me just pick one. I'll just pick one. Eli Manning. So all I'm saying is it's a pretty good guess. hey i think it went better than first week (laughs) okay so now it's time to jump in with the rollout and drew i think it's a pretty obvious topic patty mahomes damn right (laughs) so patrick mahomes just signed a deal for 12 years, that could potentially be worth up to $503 million. $503 million. In other words, one half of $1 billion. In other words, by far the largest contract in sports history. By far. Crazy. Good for him, right? Good for him. Get his money. Good for the Chiefs. You lock up, I mean, I think the next greatest player in the league in Patrick Mahomes. So good for both sides, you know, get it done. The question being going forward, how much does this affect their ability to put together a roster? What's funny is he would argue that he's actually getting a bargain. As Patrick Mahomes said, he did not want to take money away from the rest of the guys so that they could still build a good roster. And I find that kind of funny because he's taking $503 million if he gets all of his incentives. But it's it's more complicated than that. Yeah. And I, I, I want to point that out. So... Um, right now the cap is 200 million salary cap in the NFL is 200 million. Um, but it's risen each of the last eight years by 10 million. It was 123 in 2013. It's 196 or 198, uh, right around 200 million now. Right. Yeah. So you would presume that that salary cap is going to keep going up. So yes, Patrick Mahomes in 2027, will earn his cap hit will be $59.9 million, which just sounds like a crazy amount, but it's not as much as you think it is when you consider that the salary cap is going to keep going up because the real question here isn't the amount of money. It's the percentage of the cap that he's tying up. Sure. So Andrew Brandt pointed out uh, on Twitter that he gave Brett Favre a 10 year deal that was worth 18.75% of the cap. um, And then, Patrick Mahomes today, when his extension kicks in, um, his thirty-seven point five million that he'll make in twenty twenty-one is eighteen point seven five percent of the yeah, cap. Yeah, there you go. So it's possible to win with someone like Patrick Mahomes. Well, I don't know. I don't think that proves that you. It's possible to win, but 
I, I do understand that this is not the craziest contract to ever happen in sports. It's certainly not going to be one of the worst ones. In fact, I think this, honestly, five years from now will be one of the best contracts that the Chiefs could have made because it's Patrick Mahomes, and I think he's the future of the NFL for the next 10, 15, 20 years. He's that good of a talent. I don't think it answers the question whether or not it's possible to win, but I see, I see what you're saying. It's not a crazy contract. And I think the next question that comes up in my mind is, the next two guys in line for this sort of a deal, both quarterbacks, obviously, you have to be, are Dak Prescott, who we both have definitely our differing opinions on, and Deshaun Watson, who has had a little bit of injury history already to begin his career. So those two guys being next in line, do you see them worth anything close to what Patrick Mahomes just got? Did Mahomes break the market in their favor, or will nobody touch Mahomes' contract for years to come? No one's going to get remotely close to this at all and and by the way get rid of the Deshaun Watson injury narrative because it's wrong um he's played the full season each of the last two years so you can get rid of that for when his contract comes around but um it's important to consider what Mahomes has done in his first two years right um he's been in the league three but he started two and two years ago he won NFL MVP last year he won Super Bowl MVP Right. So like there's an argument to be made that Patrick Mahomes is already among the all time greats in the sport because the list of people to do that is not very long. And it's very exclusive with guys like Bart Starr, Joe Montana, Tom Brady. Right. Yeah. So there no one's Prescott and Watson are both incredible quarterbacks and we'll get theirs. They're not going to be making a cap hit of fifty nine point nine million. And frankly, nor do they deserve it. I want to say real quick, I want to defend my point that Watson missed games, definitely missed more than his fair share of games in his rookie season. Now, it's been a while since then. It, it, that, was, that was back in 2017. I just wanted to say, you, know, you don't have to call me on that being totally wrong. He missed some big games, a lot of games in 2017. Now, going, looking at who could get this sort of deal, you're right. It's absolutely no one for a long time, I don't think. But... Could a guy like Deshaun Watson get close? And how close could he really get? Think about what he's done when, since he entered the league. He's been leading not great teams to the playoffs and has been given much worse teams than Mahomes. Much worse. Much, much worse. They've been in the league almost the same amount of time, and I feel like they're almost the same caliber of quarterback. i got to be completely honest. Looking at Deshaun Watson on the field, that's a guy that I want to lock up if I'm the Texans. That's all I'm trying and to say. I, I agree, but he's not going to be getting a $503 million contract. No, 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 no. But I, does this boost his value? Does Does no. Mahomes getting this contract boost his value in any Hon- way? Honestly, so generally how this goes is each year there's a quarterback who resets the market. Yep. I think this is completely different. I think you're right. I, I think this is going to be completely ignored. The market has not reset because Patrick Mahomes is in a league of his own market-wise. Yes. Right? You look at... That's why Eli Manning got paid so much when he did, because the Giants, he'd won two Super Bowls, they had to pay him, right? Yeah. That's why he led the league in salary in 2013 and 2014, right? And then the market just keeps getting reset higher and higher and higher, and Dak wanted to do that. And so Watson is going to follow Dak. Dak's going to get his this year, Yep. and he will. He's eventually going to get paid because Dallas has to pay him because he is good enough to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's good enough to be a very good one. He's shown that. Um, Whether you think he's there yet is a different discussion that we will eventually have. But he is a starter-caliber quarterback and deserves to get paid as such. Absolutely. He's led the team to 
pretty good success in his four years. It was a great eight and eight season last year. I mean, he's one. <laughs> we'll save this for the Wentz. And Wentz got paid. I get it. Dak has, by all statistical measures, been better than Wentz, and he's won more playoff games than Wentz has. Just saying. <laughs> um, but that's a different discussion. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Um, but but seriously, so like so like it's different. And, and then and then. Who knows what the, these guys behind him will have? Who knows what Daniel Jones um, is going to get? What Kyler Murray is going to get? Uh, but just looking Tua, around the league, do do we really think that any of these guys are even on the same playing field? I would be shocked Mahomes. if anyone got within a hundred million of Patrick. I Mahomes. agree. Yeah, maybe one hundred and fifty million. So so then let's turn the question to all of sports, right? Is there any guy in all of sports across the world that you would pay mo- this much money to a guy right now? I can make an argument for Mike Trout, but even then, no. There are a couple guys that come to mind that might have as much of an impact on their field as Mahomes does on his. And guys, I'm thinking of our guy coming in free agency soon, Giannis Antetokounmpo. And I don't think he's worthy of this much money because longevity is not as much of an issue for Mahomes, I think, as it is going to be for Antetokounmpo. Uh, So I, I don't see Giannis getting as much money but I could see him getting the same amount per year if, if the max will allow for that in the NBA. Whatever he's going to get at max or super max contract, he'll get the most that he possibly can, and he would be the guy that I think could be worth making what Mahomes makes per year, strictly because, I mean, he, when he's on the court, the Bucks are a completely different team, and he ran them to their spot in the playoffs this year at the one seed. I mean, he's running the show, and he's how old, I think? He's 26 right now. That's that's the first guy that comes to mind. I don't think there's anyone in professional sports you can realistically make an argument for. And, and I'm sorry, it, just because of the nature of the quarterback position and because of how good Patrick Mahomes is at such a young age uh, at that like vital position, right? So Patrick Mahomes, in his two years, I said this already, he's won a Super Bowl MVP and he's won an MVP, right? Giannis is good. Giannis is going to win back-to-back MVPs this mm-hmm. year, most likely. Mm-hmm. But his impact on the game isn't nearly as much as Mahomes. He's only playing 30 minutes a game, and they're still the best team in the Eastern Conference by a lot, right? If you take Patrick Mahomes out of the equation for the Chiefs, good fucking luck. <laughs> I'm serious. It's good not luck. like they have a bad roster without him. Tell me who their backup quarterback is. <laughs> I mean, come on. You can't. You got, you got Kelsey and you got Tyreek Hill. And it's, it's have not, fun it's not with that like, one, too. It's not like the Bucks have a bad roster without Giannis. I'm not saying they're the best team in the Eastern Conference, but are they better than the Wizards? Probably. Yes. Are they better than the yes. Nets without Katie and Kyrie? But I think you Probably. could say the same thing about the Chiefs, right? Are they going to be better than the Raiders? I would still say no, yes. No, I would still I, say I yes. I disagree because quarterback is such an important position. It is, and it's, it's by far the most position, important position in all of football, by far. I'm and, not an and, idiot. And it's, it's not like their running backs have carried them. No. It's not like their defense carried Their defense almost lost them. Yep. What, three games last postseason? It took, who did it take to drag them back? It took Patrick sure. Mahomes. Sure. We've seen LeBron carry teams in the past, though. I mean, that Cavs team that won the title, that was, you could argue it was him and Kyrie. But, I mean, come on. LeBron sort of dragged that team through when it came down to it. Kyrie made the most clutch shot. LeBron dragged him through it, though. And if I'm looking for another guy that could drag teams through playoffs, it's probably Giannis. That's, I mean, that's the next guy that comes to mind for me. That, uh, if, if anyone else is going to be worthy of this kind of contract, it's going to be a guy that can lead his team through an entire playoffs. 
obviously you can't give that to anyone in baseball because look, Mike Trout is the best player in the league and he can't get his team to the playoffs, not even close because they're terrible. The Angels suck. But in basketball, that's absolutely how it works. You get one superstar, hopefully two. But that superstar, the top superstar, is the most by far important part of the team. So I could I could see it playing out like that in basketball as well. But again, he won't get for as many years, and he won't get for even close to as much overall. Right, money. and and part of this too is the guarantee that comes with the quarterback position. You know, like that's the crazy part about quarterback that sets Mahomes and sets this deal apart. If you ask me, is not only. <laughs> Is it the most important position in sports? But guys play it into their 40s all the time. Yep. It's longevity, yeah. Even even if you only get Patrick Mahomes till he's 35, this deal was worth every single penny. While Mahomes set the record for largest contract in sports history, Damian Lillard makes over $7 more a year on average, coming in at $49 per year. So now it's time for our timeout, and a pretty quick timeout today. I want to touch quickly on the Redskins' name change. Um, so it's overdue. <laughs> to it's put it's it very overdue, yes. Um, and it's, it's interesting that it's taken this long for companies like FedEx and Nike to pull their sponsorship um, because that's really what needed to happen because, as we learned during the baseball discussion, owners are blinded by money. And, and so I think we know that especially about Dan Snyder. Right. So if sponsors are going to pull their money, there goes the Redskins the name. Yep. So, um, Yeah, I mean, it, this has to happen at some point. Uh, there's no other team with a name like this. It really in sports. The Indians right with the closest. I want to ask you about that. As someone who's an Atlanta fan, um, how do you feel about the Braves and the Tomahawk Chop and everything like that? Here's, here's what I think. First of all, I had somebody ask me the question, ask me this question over text earlier this week. What even is a Brave? So starting there, it's it's already not as bad as the Redskins. I think that's pretty obvious. I would agree. Um, and I, I think you could say the same thing about like like I saw that we should pull the name the Golden State Warriors. I I don't see an affiliation there. I think a warrior is a warrior and always has been. It's not racially tied. Um, so, so you can go a little further than just the Redskins and the Indians on this. I think the Braves name is fine where the problem might come in is their logo and the Tomahawk chop logo, having the Tomahawk in it. Obviously this is tough for me because it's one of my favorite parts about the team is the Tomahawk chop. Like I I've always loved it. It's always been one of my favorite things about the stadium, especially like when Acuna hits that grand slam in the playoffs against the Dodgers, you can hear the whole crowd doing the chop. If they took out the chop, I'm not going to complain because I can totally see where people are coming from, right? Well, so but and, but the, name itself, the name itself, if they want to pull that as well, fine, but I don't see a problem with the name inherently. Um, I, I want to point this out. The Braves can do everything they want in order to try to stop the tomahawk chop. It really puts the onus on the fans. Because well, it was started by the fans in 1991. So, so nothing's going to... Change even if the Braves say, please don't do this, like, don't do this. If the whole stadium starts doing it, what are they going to do? Kick everyone out? And let's um, be honest, the, it's it's a team in the south, right? <laughs> that, that's eventually where I was going with that. But, um, I think it's the right move to try to push it in that direction, um, at least from a PR standpoint for the Braves. Um, but they have I don't started. Know if, I don't know if it's going to work. They, they <laughs> I have started. I, and then, I, I agree with you. And there. then you get to Florida State and the Seminoles and 
Um, well, here's the thing with the Seminoles. This is what makes it interesting to me, especially with the chop, is that the Seminole tribe in Florida has said, we approve and we side with the Seminole name for Florida State and the use of the tomahawk chop. They basically <laughs> said to, like, I don't know if it's to the Florida government or whoever it was, maybe just the school itself, but, like, we stand with this. We support it. Now you're looking at the Kansas City Chiefs and the Atlanta Braves, two of the major sports teams that have the tomahawk chop, and it's a totally different story. It's the same action, but it is it is different because it wasn't approved specifically by the tribe. So it's 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 interesting. It's definitely interesting. So I want to ask you though, uh, what do you think they're going to change their name to? Not the Braves, the Washington Football Team, Washington Football Club, Washington FC. I've, I've <laughs> that would work. I, I've would seen work. Uh, I've seen Washington Red Tails thrown out there, which honors the Tuskegee Airmen from World War II. I think that would be really cool. I think it's a great name. Uh, I don't know what they'll end up doing, but I think that's gotten enough support that it might actually fly. I've also you have a pretty good. You you said Washington Reds once, and I thought that was decent. Well, so the more I think about it, the more I think I've seen Red Wolves thrown around too. Um, the more I think about it though, the more, if it's me and it's not me, and I don't think they'll go this direction cause it's not what I'm seeing on Twitter and everything like that. But if it's me, I am coming up with something just completely different because then what can you do? You make more merch, you sell more merch, you make more money, <laughs> right? So if I'm Dan Snyder and I know Dan Snyder is motivated by money, why not go with something like the Washington Warriors or the Washington, you name it, right? That's actually, that's a good point. I haven't thought of, I thought, you'd want to keep it because everyone loves the jerseys as is. They well, so, have great jerseys, so, just not the logo. You can you can keep it something red, too. There's, there's so many teams around the sports that have red things. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it really doesn't matter what you name it yeah, if you want to make it red. Like, like if you want to name it the Warriors, there's no reason you can't do red with Warrior. <laughs> there's literally yeah. none, right? So you can still, and still keep the colors if you want. And the Redskins, the Washington football team, has such a loyal fan base that it doesn't really matter what they change it into. But why not go completely against what you have now and sell as much merchandise as you possibly can? Because they'll buy it. The last time a major American sports team changed their name was 2014, when the Charlotte Bobcats became the Hornets. The year prior, the New Orleans Hornets became the Pelicans, freeing up the Hornets' name. This week, we have a little bit of a different interview. It's not an athlete, but it's someone who's worked at a higher level than most of the athletes we've talked to. Um, so we have Max Brill, and he worked for the Mets organization last year. He was assigned to work with the Brooklyn Cyclones in the Class A short season, and they won a championship. So How about that? He is probably the smartest baseball guy that either of us know when it comes to analytics and things like that. So... Um, I'm excited for this. Yeah, Max actually visited. Uh, he, he stayed in my apartment last year. We had a night out together. Uh, he, he's almost best friends with my roommate. So we got to spend a fun night out, and we got really drunk and started talking about baseball stats for probably two hours. I'm not kidding. Like, Uber drives at the parties, Uber drives back the whole time. People got mad at us. So, <laughs> <laughs> so well, go ahead and jump right in. So, um, we know you worked with the Cyclones last year. What was your role with them? So I was actually working for the big league club, the New York Mets. Like they oversee the whole player development operation, including the minor league. So my official title was uh, player development associate. And 
in my role, I was basically assigned to an affiliate, which you mentioned was the Brooklyn Cyclones. And I oversaw all of their data and video needs. So any video collection, which meant during the game, I would set up six cameras around the field, open angles of the pitchers and hitters, center field and home plate. And then uh, guys would wear blast motion sensors on their bats. So what, what those do is they basically track the swing metrics. Uh, they go on the bottom of a bat and it measures a guy's power, swing speed, attack angle, uh, exit velocity if he makes contact, all that kind of stuff. And they would wear those in games, which is really cool because we, uh, uh, guys in the majors can't do that yet. It's not in the collective bargaining agreement, but in the minors you can. So we got a lot of good data that way. And then, you know, during bullpens, uh, working with the pitching coaches and the pitchers, uh, keeping track of their numbers on Rapsodo, which is another technology that just tracks like spin rate and spin efficiency, velo, stuff like that. So I, I was kind of a jack of all trades when it came to player development technology and video. And I also did some other uh, stuff like, you know, booking hotel rooms. And like when Jeff McNeil came in to rehab with us, uh, we didn't have any rooms in the hotel we were staying at. And there's a clause in the MLB CBA somewhere that the hotel needs to be like a certain number of stars if a major leaguer is going on a rehab assignment. So I had to like get him a hotel at like a hotel near us that wasn't our hotel. So, you know, other fun stuff like that. That's awesome. You get to put the stuff on the bats of the guys hitting. Because I was going to say, I don't think that's a thing that's allowed in the major leagues. And then you went on to say exactly that. In the future, do you think that's a good thing to implement in the majors? Because you got a lot of statistics from that that you could draw from. And, I mean, you helped lead that team to a championship. Do you think this would be worth it in the long run for MLB to implement? Yeah, well, two things. The first thing is I, I would caution you against saying that I led the team. No, to you did. You know, no, it was a, don't it was caution a, it was me. a whole team effort. It was a whole team effort. <laughs> um, but, no, I mean, I, I think there's a, a couple of things that are in play when you talk about implementing something like that at the MLB level, the first concern is basically player privacy, right? So, so these are biometric numbers that the players should have exclusive rights to because it's essentially a medical thing. Um, in terms of will the MLB implement it, it's hard to say. The collective bargaining negotiations are always very tense and when you give something up, you have to be getting something in return. So if the players decide that they're going to allow teams to have access to their blast motion numbers at the big league level, the MLB is also going to have to concede something. And just to give you an example of that, like in the previous CBA, uh, there was a clause about how your cleats have to be at least 50% the color of your team uniform that you're wearing. And so guys would get fined for having strange cleat colors right like obviously for like breast cancer awareness they could have pink cleats but on days where they were just like it was a normal uniform if you were wearing you know like the indians if you were wearing blue and red jerseys and you had cleats that were like pink more than 50 percent, you would get fined for that which is like to me and you that's ridiculous but to the players and owners that's something that you negotiate right so if the players want to be able to wear any color cleats that means that they're going to have to give something up to the owners so it's kind of a beyond just the logistics of implementing it, it's a, a back and forth between the players union and the owner. So what was it like being a part of that uh, championship last year? And um, what was the atmosphere like around a minor league team? Because minor league teams are so unique and so fun to be around. I, I feel like just having been to as many minor league games as we've been to, so fun to be around. So what's it like being on the inside of that uh, and seeing it from there? Yeah, well, we definitely have a really good community in Brooklyn. I would say 
in terms of all of the short season leagues, we have number one attendance every year. I think for the past 10 years, we've had the number one attendance of any short season team. And the Cyclones consistently placed in the top 20 of attendance among all minor league teams. So that includes single A, double A, triple A that all have way bigger stadiums than we do. Our capacity is only like 9,500 people. Uh, but living in New York City obviously helps the Cyclones attendance. And like I said, they do a lot of community outreach in Brooklyn. So there's a really good community there. Uh, it, honestly, it was, a, it was a great experience because yes, it is minor league baseball, but I had the opportunity to work with so many guys who I had looked up to as a kid. Edgardo Alfonso was the manager of uh, the Cyclones and I'm a Mets fan through and through growing up. I would watch him uh, play third base. I wanted to play third base because of him and then David Wright later. And it's funny because my first baseball game that I was ever at in uh, July, 1999, Fonzie actually had the game tying hit against the Yankees. Um, so it was just kind of funny how that came all full circle but Andy Chavez, who had, had a great catch for the Mets in the 2006 playoffs, another guy who was on the coaching staff, uh, Josue Matos pitched for Puerto Rico in the World Baseball Classic. Delwyn Young was a great utility player in the majors. I mean, these guys were all on the staff, and so it was a minor league club, but there were guys who came from all different types of major league careers and international careers, and uh, it, it, we kind of came together to – form what ended up being a championship team which I thought was really cool so in that championship moment when you guys go back in the locker room and you start I'm guessing you're dumping champagne everywhere right yeah well it's it's funny because a lot of the guy well not a lot of the guys but some of the guys on the team actually are not 21 so like (laughs) the guy one of the guys who started for us in the in the championship series was just 20 years old he had been drafted like three years ago out of high school and he was really young when he got drafted and then there was uh, two of our first three picks this year, this past year, not 2019. Brett Beatty was a high school third baseman, was a first rounder. Matt Allen, a high school pitcher, was a third rounder. Both of them were with us when we won the championship. And neither of those guys is over 21. So it was like a very strange thing to be, you know, and I wasn't 21 at the time either. Yeah, so like, yeah. it, it was, it was, it was really cool. You know, it, it's tough to put into words, uh, to describe that that moment when we finally won, you know, I was uh, up in the press box because that's where I do my work from during the game, uh, running TrackMan, which is one of the player development technologies that kind of uh, gets velocity, spin rate, all, all that stuff for players, and then exit velo and, and launch angle for hitters. And as soon as we made the final out, I ran down from the press box onto the field, and uh, Andrew Edwards, who's a, a good friend of mine now, who was drafted by the Mets last year, and I think the thirty second round. Uh, was the closer for that game. And I I went out there and gave him a big hug, a big hug for all the coaches. It was just, it was surreal, honestly. And I'm hoping it's the first of many championships. I got to run back to this real quick. What the hell did you dump then? If you're not dumping champagne, like were you not allowed to hold it? (laughs) No, well, well, okay. I don't, I mean, I don't know if I can, I'm supposed to say this in public. Obviously I was partaking in the celebrations. Um, I, I actually got, so, so, I finished my work, right? Like we finished the game. I cut up all the video. I'm celebrating with the team. And after about 45 minutes, I'm like, oh my goodness, my parents are going to have to come pick me up because usually I drive to work. Um, And I was definitely not going to be able to drive home. So you can fill in the blanks there, but uh, it, it it was a great experience and it was a great night. So what guys from that team last year should we be looking for going forward? Well, I, like I mentioned, Brett Beatty and Matt Allen are two of the Mets' top prospects now. Uh, Beatty 
honestly one of the the best hitters that I saw in our league all year. Really good gap to gap power from the left side. Uh, Allen, I think, is going to be a major league starter. He already could be a major league reliever. I'm 100% confident of that. He was spotting up his fastball 97, 98 miles an hour in the championship. uh, In the final game, he threw three perfect innings, and that was the longest outing of his pro career to that point. Uh, He's got a really good curveball, too, sits in the mid-80s, really good 12-6 to action. Changeup is a work in progress, but I I think he'll figure it out. I kind of see him as a Matt Harvey-type guy before all of the injuries. Uh, I I really think he could be a special kid. And then beyond that, Andrew Edwards, like I mentioned, He's got a, a low 90s fastball from the left side with a really good breaker, which is great. Uh, Race and Santos was a pretty good reliever for us. Just a, a high heat guy. Um, doesn't have great secondary stuff yet, but he can get up to 100 miles an hour on the radar gun. And then uh, another thing that I mentioned was that how it was, a whole, it was a whole organizational effort. Like we had guys like Jed Lowry who had, I think, like eight plate appearances for the big league club last year. He hit a home run for us in the playoffs. Uh, Robbie Cano came and started a few games on rehab. Cindergard made a start for us. Uh, but going back to the minor league guys, I mean, Jake Mangum was a, a pretty high pick. I think he could be a good fourth outfielder. Uh, Luke Ritter was our second baseman, guy from Wichita State. I think he could be really solid as a, as a utility infielder. Um, I would say in terms of the like highly touted prospects for the Mets, we didn't have a ton of them on our team. But there are a lot of really solid guys who I think could c- turn into – really good contributors. Garrison Bryant is another one. Uh, he's a, a pretty solid starting pitcher who I still communicate with regularly just about his uh, progress and what he's doing. He just developed a new curveball, So now he's got four pretty, pretty solid pitches. I think he could be a Corey Oswald type uh, fifth starter fill in. So there might only be really one answer to this question, but I feel like I have to ask it anyways. Do, do all of these guys, every single guy that was on this team that you saw play, do they all come into the park expecting every day to make it to the major leagues? Yes. And if they didn't, they wouldn't be yeah, playing, true, right? right? So I, I think that a lot of the guys know that it's an uphill battle, right? Like Edwards, I mentioned, he got drafted in the 32nd round. There's been one player in the last 15 years to play in the major leagues who got drafted in the 32nd round. And it was Brent Suter, who's a, a starter for the Brewers. Um, they know that it's difficult, right? Like if it was easy, everybody would be making it to the major leagues, but none of these guys are, are gearing up every day thinking, okay, this might be my last game. It's always, what can I do to get better? And it's a strange position for me, right? Because obviously I made friends with a bunch of the guys and you want to see them succeed. You want to see them move to the next level. So in a strange sense, if I do my job correctly, then I never see them again because that means that. Yeah, 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 that's cool. So I want to ask about that, right? So say you're Brian Cashman, you're a major league GM, whatever, right? Um, what are you looking for when you're deciding who to call up? Is it all analytics or is there some other stuff there as well? Well, it, it's there's a, a lot of factors at play. The first I will say is in the lower minors, a lot of guys are still pretty raw. There's a, re- a lot of really young players coming from our academy in the Dominican Republic, for example, who haven't been playing organized baseball their entire lives. Like in America, you have guys playing Little League, playing organized games like that from five, six, seven years old. In the DR, they don't have leagues like that really. But the contrast is that in America, we don't really have academies like they do in the DR. You see these kids specializing and focusing exclusively on baseball, 12, 13, 14 years old. And that's because they have the raw stuff. So this might be a generalization, but 
if you take a, a, a group of 16 year olds from the DR playing against a group of 16 year olds from the States, the team from the DR is going to be able to throw harder. They're going to be able to hit the ball harder. They're probably going to be able to run faster, but the team from the States might win just because they're going to make fewer mistakes. So at the lower levels, it's a lot about seeing if players can make those steps that they need in their physical development more than it is about stats. I would actually say in the minors, there's a, a pretty much zero focus on stats. It's about, can this guy be a contributor for us in the future, right? Like Seth Lugo, you look at his AAA numbers, they're not good, but he's been an excellent relief pitcher for the Mets for the past few seasons because he has an elite spin rate on his curveball. So to get back to your question, Joey, about what are we looking for? It's a combination of things. It's, it's age is a guy ready to be at this level, right? You're not going to take an 18 year old who you just drafted out of high school and throw him into double a with a bunch of 22, 23 year olds. If that's his first taste of pro ball, but at the same time, a 23 year old who might've been injured, who might've had Tommy John surgery, you can't just throw him in short season, a ball and expect him to grow and develop because he's going to be playing against a bunch of guys that are younger, younger than him. So it's a combination of their age, their readiness in terms of physicality, you know, guys grow as they, as they get older and then their numbers and, and analytics and stuff like that. And that's where the player development technology has really made strides recently because we're more able to measure whether or not guys are able for the, able to move up to the next levels based on what they've shown us. So I want to ask a follow-up to that. Um, is there any merit anywhere in cross major league baseball anymore to the eye test? Because um, the thing, I guess what I'm asking is, so does that mean you're choosing a guy who let's say has a 3.5 ERA over a guy who has a 2.5 ERA in AAA because a guy with a 3.5 ERA is spin rates higher? Yes and no. And I think it depends what you're applying the eye test to. So the numbers and the analytics aren't going to be able to tell you if a guy can run the bases, right? So, so I'll give you an example. We had a, a Dominican kid, uh, I think he's 21 years old, Ranfi Adon last year. He, he started in the championship game for us in the outfield. And he is probably the closest thing to a five-tool player that we had on the team. Great bat, could hit for power, could run well, good arm, good glove. The only trouble was that he didn't really have it all together between the ears. He, he was still learning the game. He had all the physicality, but he, he didn't know how to play baseball yet. He, he was just going up there and swinging. And, and don't get me wrong, easily the fastest guy in the Mets organization. Could steal like nobody's business, could cover a ton of ground in the outfield, but he made a, a bunch of base running mistakes and nothing on a stat sheet is going to tell you, okay, Ranfi still needs to work on running the bases. So, so there is merit to the eye test. Uh, when it comes to, oh, you know, do I like this pitcher's curveball better or this pitcher's curveball better? I don't really think the eye test tells you much there. I mean, it's very easy to look at the analytics, look at the numbers and make a decision based on that. So to, you know, go back to your example about a guy with a three, five versus a two, five in triple a, uh, the first thing is if they're in triple a, probably either of them could get the call, but you would look at that at the spin rate of their curveball to see who you think can be a more effective major leaguer because, you know, team defense in the minor leagues doesn't tell you the whole story. A pitcher isn't entirely in control of their ERA. What they can control is the spin rate and other things of that nature. So I think the eye test is useful in some scenarios, but I think the role of the scout is shifting now more to we need to find things that we can't find from the numbers. We need to know if this guy has, has an okay family life. And, and to go back to the example with Ranfi, his uncle died 
two weeks before the end of the season. And he went into like an 0 for 15 slump. And Fonzie pulled him into the office one day and was like, dude, what's going on? And Adon was like, well, my, my uncle just died. And Fonzie's like, well, why didn't, why didn't you tell me that? Like, that's what, what the scout's job is to figure out. That's what, what the eye test is for is, you know, you can see something is wrong, get to the bottom of it. Find us something that the numbers can't find. So both changing gears here a little bit, but staying on stats, because I want to have some fun with stats for, for just a second. Uh, Joey and I have been arguing about war a lot recently because Aaron Judge no, has a higher because, season. Because hang on, hang on, hang on. completely changed his mind on war <laughs> no, 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 in, the, no. in the last two weeks. So, like, so Aaron Judge has a higher war from last season where he played 102 games than Ronald Acuna Jr., which I, I think is backwards. I don't think that should be correct if a guy plays the whole season and puts up higher counting stats across the board and a higher batting average. I, I don't see how he could have lower war if he plays like 50 more games. But my question to you becomes, well, first, actually answer this. Who should have a higher war, Ronald Acuna Jr. or Aaron Judge? Uh, well, I, I think the, the one thing that you excluded from what your analysis was was defense. Thank you. And I don't have the numbers off Acuna the top of my head. Acuna is above average defensively, though. He's above average in the corner. He's not above average in center. Yeah, but overall that evens out. But, well, Judge Judge doesn't play center field either, though. Judge right. plays right field. But Acuna's war is going to drop some for because of the innings he plays in center field, isn't it? Yeah, no, I mean, and, and that's a that's one of the things that war tries to get right is that if you're a center fielder delivering average defense, that's better than a right fielder delivering average. That's what he did, though. He was a center fielder that delivered average defense and in right field had better than average defense. And Judge still has a higher war playing 50 fewer games. Well, well, so the one thing I will say is that Judge actually was a plus defender in right field. And Acuna this past season, it, just I'm just going off of outs above average, uh, which is a, a stat that StatCast developed. And basically the way it works is that they take where the players are standing on the field and then come up with a percentage chance of a player catching the ball or making a play based on where the balls hit and where they were standing. So it, it's all based on percentages. There's no like errors or assists or nothing like that is included. Um, but it, it has Judge at eight outs above average and Acuna at minus one. And so if Judge is playing right field and Acuna is playing center, Acuna is a little below average, Judge is way above average, that's definitely something that needs to be taken into consideration. So how does that account for Acuna having a 41 homer, 37 stolen base season? and Judge having 27 homers and 55 RBIs and playing 102 games. Well, so so one thing to note is that War doesn't really care that much about stolen bases. Yeah, I did notice that. I, I just wanted to throw in a stat that Acuna had. <laughs> yeah, and, and if you look at – well, if you look at Judge, I mean, Judge's OPS was actually higher than Acuna's last year. And I, I don't love OPS as a stat, but Judge hit 27 home runs over 102 games, which – if you extrapolate that out to let's say 150 games, that's about 40 home runs. Sure. So that's not that's not to say that he was more valuable in the 102 games that he played, but you know, Judge had a 4.6 WAR year last year according to FanGraphs. Acuna had a 5.6 WAR uh, see, last we year according to FanGraphs. So if you're looking at Baseball yeah. Reference, the system changes. And my guess yeah. is that if you go to Baseball Reference, the defensive discrepancy is even higher. But you know, just like WAR loves to use uh, weighted on base average, which is kind of like OPS except better. It, it just uses different weights for doubles, triples, and home runs. And uh, Acu uh, Acuna's WOBA last year was 369. Judge's was 382, which is not a huge difference, but there's definitely a, a difference there. So 
all of this is to say that war, what it does is not account for stuff like stolen bases and RBIs and runs, which are by and large team dependent. If you have a coach that's not going to send you, you can't steal. And RBIs literally have no indication on, on a player's value in the eyes of war because it's not an outcome that a player can control. Okay, interesting. I actually kind of disagree with that. I, I understand that it's not a it's a team dependent stat that RBI is. At the same time, a guy like Harper had over a hundred RBIs and finished with a lower war than Judge, who had fifty five RBIs. And I feel like a guy that accounts for more than fifty extra runs should have a higher war for that. I, I, I feel like that ultimately matters over the course of a season. He did his team more good because he gave his team at least 50 more runs. Well, but but that's what I'm saying is RBI is completely team dependent, right? If you put Aaron Judge in Bryce Harper's situation, he probably would have driven in more runs. That's facts, yeah. But my point being, because he didn't, because he was hurt, how does he, how is that, how is he still deemed more valuable? Like him being hurt for that long means he can't drive in runs which means he's not as valuable. That's how I see it. I don't think war is the only way to... It, it depends how you want to shake it, right? Like you, could, It's the same thing. You can look at counting stats for a guy like Omar Vizquel, but then you got to remember that he played 24 years in the major leagues, right? So like, And Pete Rose in his 4,000 hits, he played, what, 50 years in the major leagues. So um, counting stats don't tell you the whole story is what I'm trying to say. I definitely agree with that. I, I just think... There should be more of an emphasis on missing 50 games. Uh, but I, I want to ask you a different question about stats moving a little forward. Um, what's your favorite stat to measure overall offensive value and overall defensive value? And if we get to it, overall pitching value? Because I know there are so many stats we can throw out there. Like you said, you don't like OPS that much. A year ago, I would have said, and I think I did say to you that drunk night, that's my favorite overall stat, OPS and OPS+. plus. So what would you say? Uh, well, I would say OPS plus is definitely a much better stat than OPS. I don't like OPS for a multitude of reasons. The first being that the denominator for on-base percentage and slugging percentage isn't the same. And everybody who has taken elementary school math knows you can't just add two numbers with different denominators. you got to make them the same denominator first and then combine them. Right, like you can't add five sevenths with two thirteenths. It just doesn't doesn't I work. I actually like didn't that. know they had different denominators. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so that's one thing about OPS. Uh, I think it's difficult to evaluate a hitter or any player for that matter only using one or two stats. I like to try to get as holistic of a view as possible. But if you had to make me choose uh, WRC plus and DRC plus, which stand for weighted runs created plus and deserved runs created plus. They're both stats that try to account for the totality of a player's offensive production, and they actually adjust for era, and they adjust for park. So I think that those stats make it much easier to compare guys like Nolan Arenado, who plays in Coors Field, with Aaron Judge, who plays in Yankee Stadium. Both hitter-friendly parks, but if you play in Coors, you're obviously going to have much better surface-level stats. The one thing I will say that is a drawback of WRC Plus and DRC Plus is that they don't really think that hitting singles is a skill. So the way that these calculations work is that extra base hits, doubles, triples, home runs are generally like 98% of the time or something like that. Balls that are hit hard, you hit with authority, they're, they're going to go for a hit a lot of the time. It's not the same for singles. Singles, it's a much lower percentage. So guys like Ichiro, who has clearly demonstrated that singles are a repeatable skill for someone like him, don't get as much love in those stats. And it goes to a conversation of like, 
okay, well, Ichiro, I think, probably could have hit 30 home runs a year in the majors if he wanted to do that, but he was fine just hitting 340 every year. And it's a different skill to hit those 30 home runs versus to hit 340 hitting mostly singles every year. If DRC Plus doesn't see singles as a repeatable skill, those guys get a knock. And to go to defense, I mentioned outs above average. I think that's far and away the best defensive stat. And defense is still really getting on its feet now. It's behind pitching and hitting in terms of the stats we have available. But OAA, I think, just does the best job of amalgamating all of the information that we have and using video cameras, uh, Doppler technology to find where the players are on the field, how long they have to get to a ball, the hang time, stuff like that. I really just don't think there's anything else out there that can measure up to that. And then uh, for catchers, framing, uh, baseball prospectus has a great framing metric. I think that's really important. And we're seeing framing come more into vogue now. You know, guys like Martin Maldonado, who's like a 200 career hitter, Jeff Mathis, who I think he has like a 184 career average or something like that. These guys have made a a decent major league career for themselves because they're excellent defensive catchers and framers. Uh, And then just to touch on pitching for a quick second, Pitching is really difficult to kind of get that all into one number. I would probably say ERA plus is, is the best. It's a, a, you know, similar to WRC plus and then it's adjusted for era and park and all that stuff. And it's easy to compare guys across eras, across teams. The only drawback drawback is that there's a lot of different ways to get a really good ERA plus. So you don't really get the specific. It's the same with WRC plus, right? A guy could have 50 doubles and 15 home runs and another guy could have 30 home runs and 20 doubles, they would have a similar WRC plus probably when all is said and done. I just want to throw in one quick thing. Um, To your framing point, that's a really interesting point to me because it's been messing with a lot of catchers' war, uh, especially on fan graphs. Um, But really what I want to talk about is Tyler Flowers can now make about double what he made before framing became a real stat. Like now that framing is really measured and calculated out and Tyler Flowers is seen as a top five, top 10 framer in the league, he now can make four, six million a year instead of the one or two million he could make before. I think that's interesting. So real quick, is there a player you think looking at those stats, just knowing what you know in general that you think is going to have a breakout year during this 60 game shortened season? Look, 60 games is so difficult to draw any meaningful conclusion from, you know, Joey Votto hit over 400 in a 60 game stretch a couple of years ago, like we could very well have another 400 hitter this year. And you look at guys like Xander Bogarts, I think in 2017, it was, he hit like nine home runs all season. He didn't have a home run until June. That's the entire season this year. And he ended up hitting like 325 that year. So, so there's really no way to know for sure. Right. Like Yon Moncada is a guy who I love. He's like a sabermetric darling obviously strikes out a ton, but crushes the ball whenever he makes contact and has great plate discipline. But, you know, if he gets into a cold stretch, a 21-game stretch where he hits like 220 and strikes out 35% of the time, there's not going to be a ton of time on the back end to balance that performance. How about a team? Who's your, who's your favorite team? Okay, well, I think for, for teams specifically, part of the beauty of a 60-game season is that everybody basically becomes a contender. Like if you look last year at the standings after 60 games, the nationals who won the world series were like fourth in the NL East. So you're going to see young teams like the Marlins, the white Sox, And if they can get their stuff together early in the season, 
they might go on to win the World Series. Like, it, it's it's going to be really interesting to watch. And, and I think, you know, those two teams that I mentioned, the Marlins and White Sox, the White Sox especially, I think, are going to be super fun to watch. Luis Robert, Andrew Vaughn. I mean, these are really, really highly touted young prospects that we're going to hopefully get to see a lot of this year. Robert just signed a huge extension, so he's going to be starting for them on opening day for sure. But Andrew Vaughn, who is touted as arguably the best first base prospect in the last 20 to 25 years, is going to be suiting up for the White Sox on the south side, which I think will be really cool. Okay. Thanks, man. Yeah, Thanks thank you so Absolutely. much. Thanks this, for having me on. Yeah, this was if fun. If you ever need somebody to just come talk about baseball nerdery you know who to, you know who to call oh, I, that went too well last time uh <laughs> so I, I figured yeah i'd shoot you a text that was awesome <laughs> it's really fun I, to talk I mean, like that with another guy right and so so like I, I love you buddy but i'm sick of talking to you about sports so it was nice to have someone else come in <laughs> and be able to talk to us right um but seriously in all seriousness he's so knowledgeable about analytics where baseball is going with analytics mm-hmm. and things like that that it was so cool to hear him uh basically nerd out with us about it yeah you could even tell too his thoughts about the collective bargaining agreement coming up without actually asking yep. he was like uh-oh yep. you know this can be a messy one already. i didn't want to get into it because i didn't want to get <laughs> off the topic of analytics because that's what we were talking about yep. but um he, he introduced some new analytics that we barely use if at all yeah um OAA. I mean, he commented on one of our Instagram posts, like, you guys should be using this on your graphic. And we were like, huh? (laughs) 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 Who? Yeah, OAA, great stat. (laughs) Before this season, the MLB elected to cut 42 teams across the minor leagues. Among those teams was the Brooklyn Cyclones, meaning Max's championship winning team was the last. Now we'll wrap up our trivia question for the episode. And I asked Drew, who is the career leader in NFL earnings? And he guessed. I went with your homeboy, Eli Manning. And he was right. Yeah, let's go. (laughs) So I'll preface that by saying that both Breeze and Brady will pass him this year. Okay. um, And Mahomes will pass him in 2026. (laughs) (laughs) And I understand they didn't all win when they were the highest paid quarterback. But think about those guys, and to your point about how high-paid quarterbacks can't win Super Bowls, all five of the people we just named, or all four of the people we just named won Super Bowls. Yeah, but here's the problem is they can't win it as the highest-paid quarterback, and Mahomes will be that guy for a you long time. You know what? But time. Brady was a making... A long time. Brady was making over $20 million when he won it. So was Breeze. Yeah, but now we're talking... like we're, but, we're, we're going you, from you a... got to think about percentage of the cap at the time as well, because the cap's going to keep going up. The cap's going to keep going up, but I don't really see a quarterback passing him an average salary per year for the next probably four to five years. I don't maybe ever <laughs> but i just don't think it matters because patrick mahomes is the best talent we've seen at quarterback yeah. well why else sign him for this so that's all for this week guys thanks for tuning in um we have another fun episode coming up we're gonna do similar to what we did all baseball last time we're gonna do all basketball all nba 
all NBA all the time next time. So um, it's going to be similar to the baseball one. We're going to talk about the restart, some of the speed bumps they have, and uh, talk about who we got as winners. And I have a feeling that debate will get a little heated. That's going to get heated. There's no chance it doesn't. We just don't agree no. on that one. And we haven't all year long. So <laughs> um, look forward to that. It'll be, hard to, it'll be hard to keep my original pick with all the rosters changing, but we'll see what happens. You've been listening to The Fallout. Thanks for tuning in.